All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the international man of mystery, Sprecken's Day badass. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up? Ooh, did you just call him Sprecken's Day badass? I'd like to show you what they have over here for us. Yes, it's called water. <laughs> Brought the to you by water. <laughs> Germany. Oh you know, man, where, where Carhartt is designer clothing. I love it. Um, so for those of you that are just joining us new to the program, hey, he is Gaslight Anthem drummer Benny Horowitz, and he's back on tour. He's back on the road going out to see your pretty faces. And, uh, Benny, what's the word? How is Germany treating you? You know, it's a strange thing because I've spent so much time in this country now, you know, over the last like 10 to 15 years, like months and months at a time. I quite like it now. And even when I'm home, uh, I get a lot of like sensory connections to hear. And often if it's like a 55 degree day and I smell a cigarette, <laughs> I feel like I'm in Germany. Like it just, I have like a sensory connection that like takes me to this place. So in a strange way, uh, there is like a, a romantic part of me that really digs this place and like gets into it. Um, Traveling is a fucking nightmare right yeah, now. Yeah. Everyone should know that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like it was hard before this, and now it's just extra hard. Uh, I sat next to a nice young man on the plane who, uh, in context with this program, I found out after a little inquiry, was a professional basketball player. Played in Spain, played in Dubai, played in a lot of different countries. Uh, played with Dirk when he was young. He's a young, he's a German oh, guy. Oh. And uh, that was fun. That's you never know who you're going to sit next to on a plane, and that was a nice one to sit next yeah. to. Um, did you get a name? Have? What did you get a name of this guy? I did. I don't want to blow him up yet. Oh. I don't think he made it pro. Kirk but, Heinrich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he was na- he was very impressed with like he, he was dropping very very random NBA players <laughs> like that he played with, and I like I was like, oh yeah, that guy ninety four in the Nuggets. He's like, oh. <laughs> why do you know all this I'm like hey you know we all have we all have our passions friend that's right but now so far it's good man the only thing i've indulged on so far yeah. is i knew it was going to happen the first time i saw a german breakfast spread filled with these delicious rolls and cheese and spreads <laughs> i'm a sucker for it man every time i see one i, I gain 10 pounds i love but it But today was the um finally got the gear set up it was on a boat two weeks ago, and it's nice and relieving when it's actually here and set up. Things sound great. We had a nice rehearsal day today. Yeah. Got through a lot of songs. The, you know, it's a lot of like new crew and new people and getting acclimated, and it feels good. I think we put like a good group together, and I the vibe is strong early That's on. Awesome. I'm stoked. That's awesome. That's really cool. So, like, I imagine that that you've got, like, Broadway-esque blocking because those things take, like, 12 hours. You're playing the same six songs all all over again, and they're trying to get the lighting patterns exactly right. So, for the novices at home, is that kind of what, when you're setting up these things, that's kind of like? Well, I I mean, the thing is, is, like, you know, as uh, somebody who does sound, somebody who does lights, somebody who does monitors, they don't own that stuff. It's too expensive, you know? So one of the first challenges is just even, you know, putting the gear package together that they're renting, getting it out of boxes and putting it together 
is literally half the battle, just yeah. like making sure everything is there, everything is working and operational. Um, you know, someone who does lights for us, you know, they've essentially, I was discussing with him today, he's been just obsessively listening to Gaslight since April <laughs> and just knowing every little cue and every little change in a song and then programming it in his computer. Then when you get here, it transferred over to a lighting board and you start doing that. Um, you know, it was funny with drums this time because uh, the stuff that was over here has been in a lockup in Ireland for many years. <laughs> I didn't even know what I had, mm. you know, so I was having people take pictures for me of like, what do I have over here? What do I have to bring? So, you know, it's a, it's like when, when the machine is moving, everything is pretty fluid, but I got to say like, like uh, re kicking back up the machine. There's a lot of dust on it. I super imagine this is what all NBA teams went through after the lockup where you've got your like road managers and they're not really like yeah. working on like anybody's bodies. So, so yeah. now they got to get that all back up and, and running. So that uh, yeah. I mean, think of those equipment managers yeah. for some of the, like if you're an equipment manager for a football team or something, yeah. there's a lot of shit to fucking yeah. think about. Jeez. But ev everybody made it safely. Perkins is back with you guys. The whole got crew. The Perkins. Love it. Bunch of canceled flights and stuff for different people. You know, we have, People here from St. Louis, Toronto, California, Arkansas, you know, real, real nice mix of people. So getting them all to Essen, Germany on the same day you know, presents a little bit of a challenge, but got it done. Got it done. He's here. He is in charge. He is Benny Horowitz. And we're about to go to this day in music history. Ah, thank goodness. Oh my God, I have the complete wrong board. That's for a whole other podcast, but we're rocking with it. This I love week. that. I love that. <laughs> what do you got? So, pretty famous one today. In 69, the Beatles shoot the photo for the Abbey Road album cover outside of the uh, Abbey Road studios, which prompted the uh, Paul McCartney is dead rumors. Um, you know, the thing that, like, I didn't realize the, the, the great lengths people went to convince themselves that Paul McCartney was dead in this photo. It was like, uh, since he was barefoot and had a cigarette that he represented apparently a corpse in a funeral procession. Since Lennon was in, since Lennon was in white, he was the priest. Since Ringo was in black, he was the pallbearer. And since Harrison was in casual clothes, he was the grave digger. And then apparently there's a Volkswagen Beetle parked in it. And the license plate says 28 IF as in McCartney would have been 28 years old if he were still alive. So, I, you know, I always thought this was a joke because I grew up later on, but I didn't realize that in 1969, Life Magazine wrote an article saying Paul is still with us <laughs> to explain to people, like, what actually happened. Uh, apparently, they were just pressed for time. They were at the studio. They had 10 minutes to take a shot. And it was actually Paul McCartney's idea to walk across the street and do it. And... Uh, yeah, and apparently he was barefoot because it was a hot day and he didn't feel like wearing his sandals. Wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Every time we go to one, do one of these things, there's always some like Beatles sacrosanct that people are like, this happened and like, here's why he's Jesus and all that stuff. So, yeah, great. On this day, 69, 66? 69. Crazy, or, crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, 69 was the, was the shoot. Yeah. Love it, love it. Um, all right, Benny. So on this day in 2007, and I hope that I don't get a black bag over my head after this one, uh, the U.S. National Music 
Skull Publishers Association, say that one five times fast and smoke it, joined other businesses in seeking to sue YouTube, claiming songwriters were not being properly compensated when their music appeared on the site. The legal action had had uh, combined efforts from Viacom, Nickelodeon, Paramount Pictures, and Comedy Central. So everybody squared up at uh, the old mountain over there and was like, Les Moonves, give me my money. So this yeah. day, 2007. And you know what happened right after that? What happened? They all got together and made Vimeo. <laughs> oh, like actually, actually. That's actually yeah. what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then they run the world and I pay them a, a decent chunk of change every single right. month. So they're smarter than us. Yeah. <laughs> Me and meanwhile, they're they're this from the same group of people that brought you Vim, Vimeo also comes the offer, which yeah. trash and TV. And Denny's show. black bag. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Let's get into the headlines today, shall we? Benny, we've got, you know, I feel like I put these papers with these headlines down on my desk and the papers are yay high. So in in effort to do some uh, spring cleaning, some fall cleaning, if you will, let's get into these. So uh, over the past week, Music Midtown Festival in Piedmont Park in Atlanta, shout out to the ATL, uh, which was scheduled for September 17th to the 18th. Uh, featuring your boys, My Chemical Romance, and a whole bunch of others, including Fallout Boy, Jack White, and Future. Uh, it's been called off because of changes to Georgia's gun law uh, that prevent the festival from banning guns on publicly owned festival grounds. Um, at first glance, the like the thousand mile view of this looking down, you're like, this is pretty cool. Music festival took a stand. Uh, they're going to lose a bunch of money, but they're taking a stand. Um, is it that, or is it a strictly a safely thing that, hey, they just don't want guns at their festival, given everything that's happening right now? From my impression, it's actually sort of neither. Um, I, don't, it, I don't think it's some sort of political message from the people making this concert. I don't, I don't think they really have an opinion one way or the other. And if they had such a problem with Georgia's gun laws, they wouldn't be booking shows in Georgia. Yeah. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so I, I thought that part of it was like, I didn't find them very holy. And then I think um, the idea that they were just going to lose money and stuff like that, I think uh, from what I can understand, they were not allowed to protect themselves in a liability manner because of the, the laws of the show. And they needed more time to, to like sort out the way that they could protect their own asses if something were to happen at this yeah. concert. So it seemed more to me like a... Uh, like like weighing negatives almost from this concert company and was like we can do this we can go through with it if something happens we're going to lose this much if we delay it for now if maybe we would do it another time and figure this out we lose this much so to me it felt like a the lesser of two knocks and not really a political statement at all um you know i think there's a lot of states and a lot of it's a tricky thing. And I remember this happening a while ago. Um, you know, a lot of people stopped playing in a couple states because of various things. And one thing I found from traveling is that the alternative people and the punk rock people in these places and in these states are the most alternative and punk rock people there are. Like where I grew up, you put on skate pants and start listening to punk rock. You take a little bit of shit, but it's like, it gives a shit where we live. No one cares. You do that down there. You're like, you're fighting for your life every day. And those people like really like take a stand and do that shit. So sometimes when I see people thinking they're uh, taking something away from a politician, you know, who doesn't even know who the fuck your band is. And then like just these people who kind of need it for whatever reason, 
I, I don't want to support these places. And I think I wish I saw more artists take a stand, you know, and it, it can make a difference if the artist is big enough. It really can. Yeah. You know, like what if some conglomerate of like Taylor Swift and Coldplay and U2 and uh, Diplo and I don't know, name a bunch of fucking people. What if a dozen of them got together is like, yeah, fuck you. We're not we're not playing Texas anymore until until you, there's a change. Yeah. That's like all of a sudden you're dealing with like you know, a hundred million fans or something who might be able to, you know, take some stand, but those artists aren't willing to take those stands either. So it's tricky business. And, uh, I wish this was like some concert company being like, no, this is wrong. But uh, as usual, just follow the money back. I think. I love that this came down to insurance and that they were like, Oh no, we don't want to pay. Cause like insurance is like, like it's, it's crazy to have that mm-hmm. many people and they probably, either a couldn't get it approved or it was going to cost so much that they're probably paying uh what's that like axios out there in in the valley that provides it uh so yeah absolutely crazy stuff at the end of the day that's pretty much been the theme of this podcast you'll just follow the money and that's a big yeah that's a big motivator oh my god except for us two who don't make any money right exactly exactly i've been trying we're we're the only honest men in this business Uh, we're the only ones not run by a, a, a hedge fund. But, uh, Benny, do you want to talk about Honest Man? Maybe a guy with follows the money a little bit too much? Yeah. A little Conor McGregor? <laughs> All right. So the UFC star, Conor McGregor, I call him the UFC star like I'm 6,000 years old. Uh, UFC star Conor McGregor will make his first foray into feature films. He's being cast in the remake of Roadhouse that we've talked a bunch about on this pod. And when you first sent me this, I was like, oh my God, they put out uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's out, Conor McGregor's in, what a mistake. But upon doing further research, he's just going to be in the movie and Gyllenhaal is safe here. Um, Absolutely audacious thing to try to recreate Roadhouse, but having Conor McGregor in it, kind of cool. I'm on board. How about you? I'm a thousand times on board. (laughs) I think this is awesome. Um, and I'm almost certain they wouldn't tell me which character that he was going to be in the uh, preview, but I'm almost certain who it is. And it's going to be the main henchman for the bad guys, <laughs> the one who gets his throat ripped out. That's going to be McGregor. And I think it's almost like a genius uh, PR move. You know what I mean? Conor McGregor, the heel. He goes in there, he gets his throat ripped out in a movie or something. <laughs> like, like not He's not going to win in this movie. Yeah. The only one who wins in Roadhouse is Gyllenhaal and his yeah. lady. That's how it works. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's a creepy part of that movie. By the end of it, you know, he's walking away from this burning building. There's like <laughs> 10 dead people inside of it. Like he created a massacre in that town. <laughs> Dalton is a murderer. Um, but I love that movie. What can I say? So I think, uh, I think Conor McGregor is pretty smart for taking this pivot. I mean, say what you want about the guy and he's done a lot of weird shit and done a lot of weird shit, but he's, uh, he's charismatic and, you know, and I think I actually could see him in something like this and enjoy it. And it, and it goes back to the same thing we discussed a few months ago when Roadhouse first came up, which is not Citizen Kane. <laughs> Have some fucking fun. You know, you're making Roadhouse. Yeah. Put, put some UFC fighters in there. Like who gives a shit? Like this is good. Yeah. You remember who was in the first one? It was Patrick Swayze yeah. and, you know, and uh, and Sam Elliott, you know? <laughs> You're not supposed to take this too seriously. So let's have some fun with Roadhouse. Give me, give me Mac. 
My only thing with this is that I don't think Jalen Hall's good looking enough. I don't think he's good looking enough to be Swayze. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That is a handsome guy. <laughs> this dude is such a loser because here, here's why Jake Jalen Hall is such a, a loser. He had the chance after Taylor Swift re- released a 10-minute version of a song about their relationship to go on SNL, make some jokes about it, right? Like we do in entertainment. And he just ignores the entire thing. Meanwhile, she's on the show a week before doing a 10-minute version about how he was such a a dick to her. Make a joke about it. Listen, you want to tell me Jake Gyllenhaal has no sense of humor? Okay. You want to tell me Jake Gyllenhaal is not handsome? No. Okay. Not accepting that. (laughs) Do you want to hear who Conor McGregor beat out for this role? Who else they were considering? Yeah. Ronda Rousey. Oh. Oh, you know, that actually still might work for, for... how I typed the character. Yeah. That could have been a new way to go about it. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. I'm surprised that one of the Paul brothers, like Jake or Logan Paul, hasn't found their way into that because honestly, I I, I was doing some thinking about this. <laughs> Remake all of the Swayze movies with like Jake Paul, I think you really bring in a entirely new generation. Cause See, now, now, maybe this is because of your youth. You're forgetting yeah. something about Patrick Swayze. He's a world-class dancer. Like a real dancer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like could have went on Broadway type dancer. Yeah. You fucking, you want Jake Paul? Have you seen dancing? him doing this wrestling stuff, man? And dirty dancing? I could see it. Could do that? Could see it. No, no, that I don't support. Okay. <laughs> He's ruled it. It's over. Jake Paul, you're out. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, next headline today, Benny. And this one hits a little close to home for you. After more than 57 years and 14,000 episodes, and no, I know what you're thinking. We have not done 14,000 episodes of the tune-up, and we haven't been on for 57 years. But NBC is moving Days of Our Live, one of the last remaining soap operas from afternoon TV on to Peacock, the network announced. Um, They're replacing it with a bunch of afternoon news shows and, and talk shows and stuff like that. But Days of Our Lives, quite the run, moves to Peacock, um, I got to hear about this first. Before we get in, in, into the story, I had no idea that you were such a big Deza of Our Lives fan. So what was the hook that got you in and then what got you out? So listen, this is what happens when you're raised by women. <laughs> and uh, no, it was actually, so, you know, my mom was a fan. She liked the program. And then uh, there was a long time where, you know, me and my brother and sister were latchkey kids, you know. And when you're the youngest, you don't get TV privileges. Yeah. You get to watch whatever other people choose. There was a couple years there where the choice was often Days of Our Lives. And I can't say I didn't get invested in the characters when Bo almost died uh, or did die and came back, if I recall correctly, <laughs> in classic soap opera fashion. And I even, you know, and since it had sort of a, you know, romantic thing in my childhood, there were some times later in life where, Huh, days? Keep it on for 20 minutes and see what happens, you know? Um, it's the only one I've ever gone near watching. Yeah. And it was just because of that. It's my whole my whole frame of reference for soap operas is that Days of Our Lives and that that amazing movie Soap Dish with Kevin Klein, which is hilarious. <laughs> I know. Um, um, that's about all I know about soap operas. Yeah. But, you know, the move from, from cable to peak, I, I got to imagine, you know, that that the numbers are there and enough. I don't know what the demographic is. For, yeah. Is the demographic for Days of Our Lives now 
contemporary people staying home during the day or the people who were into it 40, 50 years ago or both? I, I think it, I think it, it stayed the same um, because like you have those people, but then you've also picked up like newer mothers who, who, who are, you know, they're just around the house doing whatever. And fathers, by the way, Let, let's not keep this. Yeah. Right. These days. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I think the demographic that they picked up that they always have had, I, I think that, you know, nothing skipped a, a beat there. Yeah. What I, I, I mean, I don't know how to get Peacock. What I think is super interesting about this announcement, Peacock just had, or NBC had a massive announcement. Their stock goes down. People aren't subscribing to Peacock. They don't like it. Right. Hmm. And then they announced this to get all of these new users to jack up the stock prices. So, you think it was like one of those boardroom pivots? Yeah. They're like, they're like, we're not doing well down this market. We have X amount of money to make a big offer to some daytime stuff. And we'll be like, every, every streaming service needs a hook. Yeah. We're the daytime TV one. Yeah. You think that's what's happening? 100%. Get, yeah. get the two most captive audiences, right? Daytime TV and... English Premier League fans get those two together and you're going to the moon. Yeah, sounds like a pretty pretty good plan, consider. But uh <laughs> yeah, man, this marks the end of quite a run and, and 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 a part of television where, you know, they used to do like live reads for ads on like TV and do yeah. it live on TV and and everything like that. So Is this is this sort of like unofficially kind of like the death of cable in a way. I mean, yeah, it's gotta it was be. like the beauty of like, like that, what you could count on it when you yeah. were young, like between, you know, noon and four, yeah. every single one of those channels <laughs> was running some kind of soap opera, like yeah. all, all day long. So this might officially mark like the end of the times. This is the, officially the end of the TV guy generation. hundred percent that. And when yeah. they take off, uh, uh, the price is right. Whenever that bites the dust one day, that'll be the official death knell of uh, that entire TV Guide generation. The price is right, I feel, could use a spruce up. A digital spruce up. Not a Drew Carey guy? Hey, he's fine. Yeah. I just mean the program itself. Like, mm. you gotta add some, like, you know how, like, when, when ESPN started looking like a stock ticker page. <laughs> like, they gotta do some shit like yeah. that to make prices right last, you know? doing that during an inflation and like real time and be like, Oh, you, you guessed $399. It's now $401 inflation. Oh man. Have a Jim Cramer, the guy from mad money host. (laughs) All right. We're, we're we're off the rails. We're flying here. Uh, All right, Benny. Uh, We have a little bit of sad news here though. So days of our lives gone. And unfortunately another golden voice of that generation gone as well. Hall of Fame broadcaster Vince Scully, uh, whose dulcet tones have been the soundtrack of, for summer in both Brooklyn and Southern California as the broadcaster for the Dodgers. He passed away this past week at the age of 94, uh, was on the job for 67 years. That's two lives of like just that. doing that job. So that. unbelievable stuff. Fordham guy started the Fordham broadcasting tree out there. But Benny, I got to know, what is your favorite memory of Vince Scully? Ah, you know, it's, it's one of those strange things with Vince Scully because it wasn't like a voice I grew up with. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it's like I always knew his name. It was knew how iconic it was. And then there would be occasionally, you know, some great national broadcasts where you would hear this call and you're just like, whoa. I think the thing that stands out 
with him as opposed to like other broadcasters, especially these days sometimes, is the ability to read the game and the feeling and and know when to be quiet. You know, like like when you're like when someone hits a home run in baseball, the you know, there's something that happens in the stadium. Like people wait for home runs for like ages, you know, and something and it's and if I hear people talking over it, it always kind of like it bothers me. I want to hear what's going on in the stadium if I'm not there. And I think Scully had a an unusual knack for like putting himself into the the broadcast wild, like you almost felt like you were there. And that's like an entire skill set that takes fucking 40, 50, 60 years, you know, to master. Um, that part of it's inspiring too, because, you know, sometimes even at my age, I feel like, yeah, how could I even do, like, I've done too much. We're fine. I don't have to be like, I don't have to hustle anymore. You know, I don't have to do this. And then I'm like, wait, like, I've lived 40 years, done a lot of shit. What if I got to do that again? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like people like that, like I love, it may, it, it's a lot to, um, it, it boosts your sales a little when you just like, you know, these people who are just like, are so committed to their craft and love it so much and love the team in this particular case yeah. that, you know, they're never going to go anywhere. And it was their life's work. And it's a, it's a great body of work to sit on this time. A hundred percent. I mean, some of his iconic calls, uh, Montana to Clark to win the Super Bowl. He did uh, the Super Bowl. And then he, uh, um, between Buckner's legs, I can't believe what I just saw, Kirk Gibson. Uh, But it's more, I I think greatness happens when you're just like, uh, in in like the day-to-day when there would be like, it'd be like 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 an afternoon game against like the Dodgers and like a guy has like an interesting story and 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 that's the part when you're a reporter or something like that getting in the clubhouse talking to the guys he always did that mm-hmm. um my good buddy Steve Steve Russian right of Sports Illustrated I, I, I produced his, his podcast uh, randomly one day in 2013 got a phone call from Scully on, on the phone uh shows up on, on the phone Pacific Palisades he's like I who the heck do I know in Pacific Palisades? Guy calls him up because Steve wrote something nice about him in Sports Illustrated in 2013. This is a guy that doesn't have, have to do that. Yeah. So that's just kind of the guy that that, that Scully was, a uh, consummate professional, and yeah, just like they don't really make him like that anymore. That's cool. That's another thing to shoot for, to yeah. strive for, you know? Yeah. Those little things when people take the time for the right stuff. I love that. So... Um, and quite the stand-up comic too. Used to, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He dabbled, he dabbled. But uh, Vin Scully, we'll miss you. Scully Way will Great be run. there. Um, rare, rare uh, remaining New York Giants fan, baseball Giants fan. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so, hardcore man. Yeah. I love they went to Fordham. Yeah, Polo Grounds. Love that. All right, uh, Benny. Let's get into a, a little bit of baseball, shall we? Um, the trade deadline has come and gone. A bunch of moves uh, went down. We're going to go through some of them. Not not too many. Just to kind of uh, get you set as, as you will for the rest of the way. Like if you're coming here for instant analysis, you're a, a little bit late. But we got to get our, 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 our two cents in here. So, uh, But the big deal of the MLB trade deadline, uh, the San Diego Padres land both Juan Soto and Josh Bell and blockbuster deals with the Nationals. Uh, in return, the Nationals got their top four prospects. 
Um, this is a big one, Benny, uh, which sets up the Padres to have uh, Machado, Tatis, and Juan Soto. Big three. Uh, you came at me for my comparison of not wanting to announce any big threes uh, until you yeah. do something in the playoffs. But what do you make of this uh, blockbuster deal at the trade deadline for San Diego? Well, I think I think I oppose the big three idea in baseball because it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. You can have three guys in the middle of your lineup that are the three best hitters in baseball, and if you can't do any of the other stuff, you're still going to lose. What's up? And Angels? it doesn't work like that in basketball. Yeah. So that's why, I like, just the concept of a big three, I could I could do without in baseball. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but that being said, like, I, you know, it can't be uh, overstated how much of a generational talent Juan Soto is. I know um, he's been, you know, sitting there in the Nationals. He did win a World Series. People seem to forget that when he was a kid. Uh, but, I mean, I seriously look at his numbers, and you know I'm a numbers man, and they are eye-popping. You know, the kinds of, like, the guy's 23 years old, and he's, he's, he's got 400 career walks already. You know, he, like, literally averages 120 walks a year and is on base 45% of the time at 23. You know, like like people, I don't think he's going to hit his his power prime till his late twenties. Um, and when you have an eye like that, like it's really like it's hard to say with such a young career, but it is Ted Williams esque and Lou Gehrig esque with the way he just like sees the strike zone at that age and can anticipate a pitch being an inch off the plate. It's it's like literally a skill that can't even be developed. A lot of the time and and he just has his preternatural instinct for it so i'm a big juan soto fan you know my first instinct would be nationals like are you fucking crazy like you've already lost max scherzer you've already lost trey turner you lost the meat of this entire world series they're not exactly stacked like it's not like juan soto surrounded by a bunch of really promising kids right now you know they signed nelson cruz in the offseason to try to bring him over the hump and things like that like guy's think like 57 years old now um so i think what the nationals had to decide was uh i think they really had the instinct he was 100 not going to stay and when you realize that if you trade him now under team control for two more years another team now has three postseason runs with juan soto prior to having to re-sign him Um, so it actually even gives the team who traded for him an option to trade him again, uh, you know, after, after his term is up. So I think the Padres had to do it. I love the GM in San Diego. Like what fun, you know, baseball (laughs) needed that baseball needed someone who's just like always willing to pull the trigger and always willing to push the envelope and, and like move things around. And I love that. And he fucking demolished their farm system to get him. And that's where I think the nationals, you know, maybe did potentially, it's a hard thing to swallow, but they potentially did optimize Juan Soto with the pieces they got back. But as always in baseball, uh, you don't know how good this deal is going to be for like another four years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, some of the prospects they got are really young. A couple are ready. Like Gore is already up and he's mm-hmm. a nice player. Abrams was up a lot this year. He's a nice player. Could be a really nice player. So, you know, like you might be able to tell a little quicker with this one if, if the Nationals struck out or not. But I think they, in a way, they had to do it. And and even though it's ugly and it's going to be a fucking miserable couple of years in D.C., like 
trying to see baseball <laughs> games because there's not a lot to watch over there. What about Luke Voigt? <laughs> who's like sitting on the Padres. He's like, all I got to do is like hit like 10 more home runs this year and, and I might surf. win a World Series. And now he's the cleanup hitter for the Nationals. You know, <laughs> it's like, fuck. Um, so yeah, I love that deal. I think it's too much fun. And and San Diego's set up for a run. They got they got good pitching. They they added your boy Hater. Mm. And uh, you know, like like I think at this point they're just trying to compete with the Dodgers over there and, and it's, it's basically an arms race in Southern California. I fundamentally don't understand baseball GMs. I don't get I mean, was this the best deal you could have gotten for arguably a, a guy who's gonna enter the best uh, be be the best player in in baseball in in a few years. I'm not so sure. Two years of control. Like if 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 LeBron is walking in like a year, teams may be like like okay like like maybe like like let's do everything to keep him him happy. So I don't understand and and especially like the hater deal that that, that you mentioned. Brewers are in contention to make a, a playoff run, and they trade him to a team that they may or may not see in the postseason. I don't get what baseball yeah, GMs think. I didn't get that. It really felt like, you know, yes, Josh Hader would have been or will be the the highest paid relief pitcher in baseball next year. Yeah. But he's a top three closer in baseball and it's the going market and you're trying to win in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I didn't really get that either. That's uh yeah, that that seemed like a wash. The only thing I could think was that uh, Milwaukee really sees something in that Devin Williams or something that he can really close instead. But that seemed like a strange move to me as well. Their GM, uh, David Stearns, talks about having as many bites at the apple as as, as possible, which I, I guess means being in, in the playoffs and like trying to extend that window. So I guess the prospects that they got back make that window a, a little bit wider. I don't know. It's, it seems like some Moneyball stuff to me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite get it, but yeah, like as you said, it's probably something just below the surface that that made that one. And, but these are the things we never know. Maybe yeah. Josh Hader's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, like it might just be something like that. Like. <laughs> All right. Uh, another deal that's kind of intertwined with that. Eric Hosmer was supposed to go back to DC in the Padres deal. Um, he did not do so. Um, Next it. And uh, now he's going to the Red Sox. Not sure that he helps Boston at all right now. But uh, thoughts on Hosmer uh, refusing to go to D.C. and wanting to go to Boston instead? I mean, I get it for Hosmer, you know, and if he has the the control to do that, he might as well, you know. Like, he's a, these days, he's a low to middle tier hitter, and he's, he's a small upgrade for Boston. I mean, they needed somebody, but... Hosmer really hasn't shown much. I'm a Hosmer fan. I really was pulling for that guy. And then just lost too much pop at his position to, to really be, you know, a super, super useful or impactful player. I don't think that one moves the needle very much. Yeah. Uh, Fielder's choice here. Do you want to talk uh, Drury to the Padres or Noah Syndergaard to the Phillies? Uh, neither. Neither? <laughs> what about what about the Yanks ads? Uh, oh, yeah. They uh... feel... Maryfield to the Jays is a good one. Added Bader, Yanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, guard doesn't matter. What was the other one you said? Drury is actually a nice pickup, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, they had to give away their number six prospect to get him. Uh, Reds got Victor Acosta as the Reds continue to do whatever the heck the Reds are trying to do here. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pretty much is the sum of all of this uh, Padres playing Steinbrenner ball and, and the Yanks are just like being submissive. 
So what do, what do you give? What what odds do you give the Padres to get through now? Oh man, see, I don't know because like this is gonna get be this the the Dodgers Padres. If we get a postseason series, this is gonna be like Yankees Astros. This is gonna be like Yankees Sox and back in the day, just boodles of fun. I think someone funky is gonna step in there, and also you know the Dodgers went ahead and did not add to their starting rotation. Yeah which I thought they were going to address. And uh, quickly after the trade deadline, Clayton Kershaw seems to have gone down again and maybe with a funky injury. They already have Walker Bueller down. So I think uh, the Dodgers right now are a little short on starting pitching, and they they probably should have addressed that uh, before the trade deadline. How about uh, old friend uh, David Robertson going to Philadelphia as well? That's a nice move. Yeah. That's a nice move. I thought the Cubs were really going to clean house. You know, I'm surprised that Hap and Contreras are even still there with, uh, you know, maybe they just weren't getting enough value for it. But I thought the Cubs were were completely blowing it up. And then we will uh, wrap baseball because I, like, I know a lot of people have been like, when are you guys going to talk baseball on the program? This is it. See you at the World Series. No. Uh, <laughs> um, Yanks offloading Gallo. Your thoughts? Oh, love it. It needed to happen. Yeah. They, they've had a, a hole in the outfield, and supplanting it with Benintendi and Bader is excellent. Benintendi's a really great, you know, not really great, but an excellent hitter, really good contact hitter, gets on base. Bader's an excellent defender and who gives the Yankees some speed, which they need. Um, I thought those were great moves. They pulled this uh, Efros kid from the Cobb, from the Cubs, 28-year-old rookie reliever who's been pitching really well, and he has five years of team control left. Yankees didn't give up much for him. Yeah. And then um, they go and grab Montas from the A's, who I think is immediately our number two starter. And, uh, and they did all this without giving up um, Dominguez, without giving up Anthony Volpe and all their major prospects. So I think the Yankees had a great uh, – trade deadline they really like any need you saw the yankees having going into it they addressed and uh yeah i think they put themselves in a good position only time will tell we'll see what the yanks and all these teams are able to do in the postseason but uh for right now you know uh um odds on we see a yankees dodgers world series this year no yes i gotta say if you asked me a while ago i'm 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 you know me i love pitching yeah and and the Dodgers seem short on it right mm. now. And and unless something else happens, I'm concerned about the Dodgers' ability to get through some really really tough uh, um, tough series with, without like somebody in the three or four starter spots that I trust. All right. Well, so, but Yankees, I mean, shit. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is uh, like. I haven't seen somebody make such a clear MVP run in a long time. There is no one close to him in most of the statistical categories. He really jumped up on everything. Yankees are doing so good. Uh, You know, as I mentioned on this show a while ago, I was like, I'm done with Aaron judge. I think he's going to leave anyway. This might be one of the greatest bets on yourself I've ever seen. And he is going to make a fucking boatload. (laughs) Jesus. A, uh, a a Jimmy Butler level of bet on yourself, and it's yeah, gonna pay I off. I mean, for him. to turn down that contract <laughs> and to be like, "Nah, fuck you! I'm I'm gonna make it a hundred million dollars richer by doing this," and then clearly doing it without you know without any question. It's it's impressive. 
Pay the man. Pay the man. All right, Benny. Uh, Last headline today. Uh, This happened last Sunday, but we got to get to it. Obliged to get to it. Bill Russell, the cornerstone of the Boston Celtics dynasty, the all-time winningest champion in the history of American professional sports with 11 titles, died last Sunday. The Hall of Famer was 88 years old. Um... And this has me thinking, you know, we'll get to the legacy stuff in in a little bit. I heard a lot of conjecture this week, a lot of speculation about whether the NBA should retire the number six for what Russell stands for, both on the court as a champion, off the court as a social justice warrior, and as the league's first ever black head coach. So breaking all of the barriers, breaking all of the records. So should the NBA retire number six as a number? You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but one of the references I was going to even talk about is the fact that, you know, Bill Russell didn't exactly uh, break the color line as a player, mm. but he was so early and so impactful and so strong and outspoken at the same time. Uh, and then, as you said, the the first black head coach, like a lot of his career felt Jackie Robinson-esque to me. And that's what baseball did with him. And, you know, I think the paying homage to Jackie Robinson in baseball has shed a lot of light on something and it keeps it going like year after year. And, you you know, year after year, you wonder why are they wearing 42? Like what's going on? Um, so I actually quite like it. And I think that's a great idea for the NBA to do something like that, because the things you could highlight via Bill Russell's career uh, on and off the court are are super important um even even the idea that uh you know kids 20 years from now will be like oh who is this guy he was the greatest team player in the history of basketball you know which is something like old men like me always (laughs) enjoy you know like like bill russell seems like uh he was the best teammate in the history of basketball maybe not you know maybe you get on you or something but like when you have someone just so committed to team and winning and, uh, and, and having these battles with such like great play, you know, like <laughs> what I would pay to just be in the building for one of those Will Russell battles just to see it, you know, oh, yeah. like how cool. Um, so I, I love that idea of, of the, the permanent six. I think that's great. And Bill Russell, just a guy who, you know, I've only like briefly had the, encounter for the legends brunches events that we'd have on on the station on on nba radio um the guy's funny as hell dude like (laughs) he would be like this like in like his 80s old man showing up to everything which is super cool like he could have been a hermit and not showed up to anything but just been uh yeah doing his thing but he would show up and he, he, he would have a barb for everybody like i have more rings than any of you michael jordan you only have half of the rings that i have he was like i could kick your ass you know so just an all-time great guy funny as hell man that's awesome and dude it's crazy like like is there any player you look at in any sport right now and actually go oh i think they could win 11 I mean, like it seems so. Yeah. Fr- it, it's like a Joe DiMaggio type <laughs> record. It seems like so impossible that anybody's going to get anywhere near that. And you know, like especially with the way uh, you know professional sports is now and all the movement and the you know the things like that's one of those records that's that's hard to see being broken. Yeah. Well, 
Bronny Jr. Who knows? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For what uh, team? Yeah, right? Oh, well, well the, the, there's a headline for next week about LeBron and his whole contract situation that's super interesting right now. I'm liking the little, little LeBron kid. Oh, uh, Bryce? Yeah, I think Bryce <laughs> is going to be the one to do it. Looks like he's got more height. Oh, man. By the way, I got to say this just for on the LeBron front because we can't get out of here with talking about LeBron. So I send you the article about how the the Warner Brothers Discovery situation about mm-hmm. how they're just like randomly taking these movies off of uh, off of HBO Max and they're pulling movies for the tax break. They shut down uh, LeBron's remake or reboot of House Party. They they axed it. Really? Yeah. Not getting made. Uh, apparently it's like already been made. So like, I guess, I guess they're just trying to take the tax benefit, but I don't know why you'd want to piss off LeBron if you're Warner brothers. He's Uh, still a pretty good star. Yeah. Must be a bad movie. Hmm. All right. (laughs) I wanted to see it. (laughs) Me too, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, playing with getting contact with the show. You can email us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com Two P's in there. Uh, follow us on all the social platforms. The tune up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Maybe if you, Surprises coming your way over there. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Don't miss any of the action there. I'm telling you, it's hot and heavy. Uh, the hot, the takes are hot. Everything's spicy. It's so sensual. Subscribe, please. Um, and the big man, he's on Instagram. Follow his journey. He's gallivanting all over Europe. Definitely not as glamorous as I just made it out to be, but he's there. Check out the content. I'm at Denny Gallagher on IG too. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, I just hope I'm 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 not 25 pounds heavier from German rolls and cheese <laughs> by the time I get home. But uh, no, I'm glad we got to do this uh, abroad. That's pretty fucking cool, man. Don't drink the pilsner. You've been listening to the tune up. <laughs>